0: I'm locked, I'm locked up, up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know. What you've done. Good evening and welcome to Stop Child Abuse Now show. This is scan number thirty three thirty two. That's thirty three thirty two. I'm Carol Levine, I'm vice president of NASCA, and uh, tonight we're going to be doing some heavy duty talking about why women stay, or men, okay, in abusive relationships, um, what it is, how, how do our minds think, why do we have to go through this, why do we allow ourselves to go through this. Um, today is different than it was years ago, okay. We do have better facilities out there. There is more help out there. But I'm going to get really into the crux of the, of the problem as we go along here and, um, and discuss it. And I'm guilty, too. I stayed far too long. Yes, I did. Okay, but let me get the, um, the mission statement out of the way. Um, we have a singleness of purpose at NASCAR to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so two different ways. Um, number one is educating the public. I do a lot of that especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic, a worldwide problem that affects everyone. And it certainly does. Number two, offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now. You hear me talking a lot and speaking a lot about prevention. Um, we can't help as children from, what, from where we came, okay? And, uh, and people should, you know, not blame themselves in, in certain situations because when you grow up in a dysfunctional home where there's all kinds of problems going on, and usually it comes from the home, all right, uh, 60% was actually mentioned on um, one of the last shows, and I think that's about right. It could even be a little bit higher than that, especially today, um, where people, you know, are being abused all the time, whether it be the children, whether it be um, the adults or both. And they're finding out more and more as time goes by that uh, many times women are the abusers. I lived across the street when <laughs> I lived at Red Bank, from this family that had five children. The man was not the abuser. It was the woman. We used to watch her in fear. And uh, finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I I had to tell someone. So um, I went to the church. I I told one of the fathers there. He looked like a long-haired hippie guy. I liked him. (laughs) He was a funny guy. But I I told him about what was going on across the street. And as it turned out, this family had been thrown off of several streets. They they rented the house that they would, you know, get into. They didn't own any of them. And um, it was a problem. The mayor would sleep out in his car. And if he wasn't out in his car, he was on the glass-tin porch talking to the broom. He was constantly sweeping and sweeping the broom at night rather than to be inside, I guess, with her. So you see it's not and that's not a an isolated case is my point in saying this. Men can be abused too, and I have all you know kinds of information about that. Uh, it's not just women who are abused, it's men also. So it was one in four women that were abused, and uh, one in uh, I think it was nine, and now it's changed, just now one in four the same of women but one in six, so they're finding out as time goes by that women can be abusive also. And those teachers out there, there's a lot of women out there that are abusive just like the men, okay? It's not always the men who are after the children. A lot of times it's the women too. Now, they don't have stats yet on that, but if they do, I'll bring it forth, and I'll tell you the exact amount as to what they think it is today. So, what I'm gonna do here is uh just tell you a few things first of all, when I said before when I said before that um there are more organizations available now, you know for people who are being abused um that's the truth that today we have a lot more to offer people, and something that you should write down, whether it be for yourself or a family member or a friend that you know is having problems at home, they're being beaten, Um, all all different kinds of abuse can happen, which we'll get into. Um, You should write this organization down, okay? Now, this is a solution. I try to give people solutions, something that they can call, they can look up themselves. There is a wonderful website on this. It's called the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. I'm going to say that again. National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. They actually have webinars, okay, and they're dedicated to supporting survivors and holding offenders accountable. And and this is very very important because in the days of old, um, I didn't know how to choose. I've told, <laughs> I've said this before, so I had two rather bad marriages. And I, I'm not going to go for number three, honey. Oh, no. I'm, I'm just stopping right here. But, you know, the point is that I didn't know how to choose. And and people can be very conniving and, and they can seem like wonderful people and then all of a sudden you find out they're not. So uh, I choose to stay single at this point in my life, okay? But for those who, um, you know, want to start up again, you want to start relationships again, the first thing you have to do is to learn how to get out of the relationship. And I don't hold anything back. I tell you the pros, the cons, and um, it's not an easy thing to do. And we'll get into that. So this year alone, okay, now this is what they have so far. There are gun-related domestic violence fatalities this year, and it's 593. Now, we're speaking about the United States, okay? 10 million people a year are physically abused by their partner. 10 million. 20,000 calls are placed a day to domestic violence hotline. 20% of women in USA have been raped, 20%. Now, I'm not going to give any more stats right now. I just wanted to get those out of the way to give you an idea just how big a problem it is because, quite frankly, it's getting worse, all right? And um, as of April 9th, 2023, it said one in four women and one in nine men, but then I just, because I'm doing research all the time, I found today, 6 o'clock in the morning, um, December 12th, 2023, the CDC states that, yes, it's one in four women and one in seven men, okay? So it's, it's, it's more men are getting abused. Instead of nine or ten, now it's one in seven, okay? So um, one thing that they found that happens with our children when they're watching this, oh, my God, and I can certainly attest to that, five million children witnessed domestic violence in the United States. Now, this is current, Those children in the United States are more apt to develop all kinds of psychological problems. Well, I've mentioned before, if you're standing there watching your child, um, you know, um, if the child is standing there watching you, I should say, beat each other up with your husband and wife, they're beating each other up and all kinds of stuff are going on, the child is not going to turn out normal. It's as simple as that they become very, very frightened because those two people, mommy and daddy, are the most important things to them in their little lives. And if mommy and daddy can't get along and they see blood flying, especially, I used to see that, um, you know, it's a very frightening, frightening thing. So, of course, they're going to have psychological problems of one another to a degree. They're even starting to, they're doing studies now. I wrote this on Facebook in the AM sometime that um, they're doing studies with people who are bipolar and that they're coming to the conclusion, but still more study is being done, that there's a good possibility that people who are bipolar have at least experience watching it. Absolutely, a lot of them. Now, when they come out with the whole stats, I'll give you the whole story on that, okay? But that is something that's being looked into now. So a lot of times they come from backgrounds like we do, all right, those who are bipolar. Not all of them, but many of them. So it's something to keep in mind. Those children who are psychologically damaged by what they see, and and then, 2 they're always afraid they're going to become the victim, Okay, And uh, a large percentage of them, and more today than ever, are the victims as well. It's not just mommy or daddy who's the victim. They become victims too. And it's a very frightening thing for a child to go and hide so that they don't get hit. Now, those children are six times more likely to commit suicide and 50% more likely to use alcohol and drugs model. Well, I did a lot of alcohol and I did a lot of pills, I certainly did, because I had developed panic attacks, panic disorder. Anything that takes over your life, okay, so that you can't function properly, it turns from panic attacks then to disorder, the disorder being that um, you're having problems in certain areas of your life, okay? I was fearful of this and fearful of that and oh my God, fearful of so many things until I turned tough. <laughs> People love the way I talk, they become a nut. That's good because let me tell you something, we have to have a little bit of humor. We have to have a little bit of humor in our lives because if we don't, then life is going to be too hard, okay? I love to sing. I love to have humor. I love. I, I laugh at the, the craziest things because it feels good, and it's good for the soul, okay? It's good for your soul. Now, alcohol and, and drug studies are something else that come into this. In these dysfunctional homes, and I've done a lot of study on that. I've gone to school and everything. It's in my bio. It's right in front of you if you want to look at it. Um, but... I, being a, a person who had alcoholism all throughout my family, for God's sake, on both sides, saw many, many battles, many battles. Some of them were actually comical, okay, and, and others because they looked like the Three Stooges. I don't know. They were all crazy. And then so sometimes I would laugh myself silly. I had this sense of humor. And then, and then other times I would be so frightened that I would go and hide, I'd be one of those kids that would go and hide, okay, because I figured I'm going to be next, all right? And um, so when children go through all kinds of uh, domestic violence, seeing domestic violence and then becoming maybe victims themselves, they're going to have psychological problems one way or another. Now, one thing, uh, a mistake that so many people do is they stay too long. And there's all different reasons why you, you know, why you do that, okay. But I'm going to tell you something. If you grow up with domestic violence, you are 74 percent more likely to become a violent person and, and commit violent crimes against someone or something. 74 percent more. Now these statistics that I'm reading to you. Some of them come from the CDC, but the others come from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And this is an organization, again, and it's a solution, hopefully, for a lot of people, because they take calls 24-7, 365 days a year. Okay, every day someone is manning the phones. And they don't just say, well, I'll go talk to someone and we'll see what we can do. No, from what I understand, and I'll tell you differently if it turns out to be differently, because I will call them again myself, um, posing, I do this, posing as a person who's in trouble because I want to see how they operate. As far as I know, they are a very, very good organization, National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Okay, And they deal with the family. They deal with the, the people who are being abused. They help you. It's not just a phone call. Phone calls are good. Don't get me wrong. But what people need so often are solutions. Now, someone had once said that our resource page needed to be updated, and that's true because I've looked at it. So I'm going to make sure that the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence is something that's going to be added to that uh, resource center. If I consider it to be good enough, then I want it out there. People, we were not put on this earth to be abused, okay? None of us asked for it. I don't care what kind of abuse it was, none of us asked for it. And what we have to do then is find ways to, you know, get out of that abuse. Now, one of the things I'm going to be discussing tonight, and by the way, um, yes, Philip, I see you're here, and um, I'm thankful that you called in. Uh, And my telephone number here is 646-595-2118. You want to be a part of this discussion or ask me any kind of question. I've had so much training in all of this. I could probably answer it, okay, nine out of ten times. So the number is 646-595-2118. And feel free to call in. I'm right here. So why do victims stay? Why did I stay? Why does anyone stay in an abusive relationship? Okay, there's a lot of reasons. And for that number there, you can call the hotline, and that eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. 799 1-800-799-7233, okay, 1-800-799-7233. And that number there, you'll, the people will explain to you about this coalition and how they can help you, and they will help you. Now, victims stay with their abusers for many different reasons, okay? Um, A lot of them are the same. I mean, they believe uh, the threats that the abuser, you know, says to them that they're going to kill them or they're going to hurt the children um, or they're afraid possibly in custody battles. Um, uh, Maybe they don't make as much money, you know, as as their spouse does. And and that can be a problem. It can be a problem. I'm not going to lie to you. I know I stayed at one point because of that. I had wonderful jobs, but my husband made more. He works for New York City Housing Authority. He was an electrician, and he was there for years, and um, quite frankly, he made a wonderful salary. Um, On the other hand, he was not the type of daddy that would uh, want the children. It wasn't our children. He married into a family that had two children. That would be myself and my children. But on the other hand, um, in many, you know, circumstances, they use that as a weapon. They do. They would use it as a weapon over the victim's head. You're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to take care of the kids. I'm going to take off. No one will find me. So then you're going to have economic problems of all kinds, okay? And people think about it, and they think, well, gee, maybe I will have, you know, problems that I never had before. It'll be too hard. And they stay. A recent study of intimate partner homicides found 20% of homicide victims were not the domestic violence victims themselves. Surprise. But family members, in other words, they take out their hatred and their anger because they were losing their victim on a family member, and that's a way of saying, hey, look, see what I can do? That's what they do. They can do that. Maybe they won't come actually after you, but they'll come after a family member. They might go after friends. They might go after neighbors or persons who intervened, all right? Some were innocent bystanders. They hear somebody inside the house, and there's screaming going on and all this other stuff, and they think they're doing the right thing, and they are doing the right thing. But that person is crazed and may even go after the innocent bystander. Now, that they have in parentheses seldom. It's more after the family, after the animals in the family, These are the people that you hear about who, you know, kill cats and kill dogs when they're children um, or other animals, okay? Many times they'll grow up, and I actually experienced that. I was living in a house that um, I was placed in, and I was being sexually abused, and um, I had to be there for a year and a half. And I was told, though, if I told, that, uh, you know, he would kill me. So, I very much believed him. I was there from the age of six to seven and a half. So, I would follow this nut around the house because um, I was always watching him to see what he was going to do. I didn't trust him. I'm just a kid, but I know there's something wrong. I saw him go downstairs in the basement, and he got rat poison. He had some rat poison in a bag or whatever. Well... That rat poison got sprinkled on the bird seed. And the bird that was so beloved in that family died, you bet. Now, that was to intimidate me. That was to show me, see, I can go through with what I say. And there are those people out there that are crazy enough. You're not the crazy one. You're being mentally and physically and emotionally abused but the true crazy person is the one who's doing the abusing. Remember that. Many times they gaslight us. You've heard that terminology many times. And gaslighting is where they say, well, what's the matter with you? Don't you remember doing that? You said you were going to do this just to blow your mind. Unfortunately, when we are victims, okay, of domestic violence, Um, and the partner is sadistic, many times he or she will be sadistic, Um, they'll make you feel like uh, it's your fault, this is your fault. They gaslight you. And if you're so down and out and your your self-esteem is so low, you tend to believe it. You tend to believe it. Well, no, I'm not perfect. Maybe if I didn't do this or maybe if I didn't do that, well, maybe he wouldn't be so bad, or she wouldn't be so bad. That's not the truth. That's called gaslighting. If you are not the person, if you are not the person who is doing the abusing, then you are the abused. I have Philip here. Philip, do you have something you'd like to ask me, or do you want to listen? Oh, I'll well, just listen now. Okay. Anytime you want to talk in, you know, just let me know. So gaslighting is something that's very common, like my phone ringing. Excuse me. Yeah, got rid of them. Um, Gaslighting is something that's very, very common, and it's something that abusers so often use because, quite frankly, um, they like to have weapons. It doesn't have to be a gun. It doesn't have to be a knife. They can psychologically abuse their partner. Now, what's so astounding about all of this? Um, Husband number one, because I was married twice, okay? Husband number one was Mr. Wonderful to me. Um, He would take me to wonderful diners and and fancy restaurants in New York City, because I'm a city girl and I love New York. And um, so we would go fancy places or not fancy. He'd buy me clothing. I wouldn't have to even worry about buying a dress. He'd buy it for me. (laughs) In those days, you wore dresses and pointy, pointy pointy-heeled shoes. Thank you. They're coming back again. Ruined my left foot. But anyway, I looked good. Yeah, I did. And um, he would pull the chair out for me in the restaurant. He would open the door to the restaurant. He would open the car door. I mean, I couldn't ask for someone with better manners. He never cursed around me. No. I did not see it coming. No. To me, I thought he was the most wonderful person in the world. And, boy, he was real easy to look at, too. I called him eye candy. Oh, yeah. That's what they call him today, Philip. They say eye candy. (laughs) In other words, they're, they're good to look at. So... To me, he was like, "Mr. Wonderful. Oh yeah, And he had Harley's, and, and I'm, I'm, I love bikes, I really do. So um, I started riding my first bike when I was 15 years old, and I rode for many years. So, uh, and today, if I could ride, I would ride. I have someone coming up from Alabama or coming out from Alabama. I go with him at least once you know during the summer. I'm hoping he comes back out. But anyway, the point is this: um, he had everything that I thought was wonderful. And he was working, too. He was a mechanic. He had good, you a know, good job. He made good money. The man fell madly in love with me. Well, I can't say that I blame him, right, too? <laughs> I like to tease. But anyway, I fell madly in love with him, too. All right. Um, he used to watch me sing in New York because I, I did an awful lot of singing in New York City. Um, I was part of the Fab Five. And I thought I had a wonderful life at that point. And I did have a good time. Yes, I did. Well, when I got married, the singing stopped, (laughs) okay, Um, in more ways than one. Because these abusers, once they have you, once they have you, um, then they start to abuse you. And you're so much in shock. You can't believe that you're going through this. Because this is not the person that you were dating. This is not the person that um, who was so wonderful. This is during the time of Vietnam. Okay, he didn't go to Vietnam. Of all places, he went to Korea. Well, nothing was going on in, in Korea at that time. They had a little problem by the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone, but nothing, nothing like what was going on at all. I mean, he was having a life of Riley. I found this out when he came home, okay? He couldn't believe that I didn't cheat on him while he was gone. When I fall in love, I'm a very loyal person, and I don't cheat on that person. That's just the way I am. But you see, he cheated on me left and right. When he came into our house, I should have seen it because the first words out of his mouth was, American women are very spoiled. Well, I guess compared to other countries that are, you know, having all kinds of problems, a lot of times it's the, the problems that are in a country, Philip, is not something that should even be involving other, uh, like the United States. They should work their own problems out. That's what they should. So the North is against the South, and the South is against the North. Leave them the heck alone and let them do their own thing. That's the way I see it, okay? And who wins, wins. So he came home from a country that had that going on, but still didn't really involve the American soldiers. There wasn't any real battle going on. He was having the time of Riley. He was with one girl after another girl after another girl. It all came out. But he was hoping that I was the same type of person, and I wasn't because I'm not. I'm loyal. I was married and I was loyal. So, okay, he couldn't hold that over me. He believed me. He told me, I want you to slap me in my, in the face. I didn't want to slap him in the face. I might have wanted to hit him in the head. <laughs> I admit that. But um, he made me slap him in the face. He said, again, again, again. So I did it three times. I slapped him, and each time was harder. Finally decided, I guess it was enough. So I guess that was his punishment. I didn't realize that this is the beginning of showing exactly what type of individual he was. I was too young. Um, we got married nine months after we met. I immediately had my son. I was trying to bring my son up, our son. Um, and I was a good mommy, and I was a good wife. And when this monster walked through the door, I didn't even recognize him. Everything about him had changed. Okay. And that's what happens. They're like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type syndrome. It does exist. They say that it doesn't, but it does exist. I saw it with my own eyes. Okay. So reasons why women say, I use women because they're the higher of the percentage. But don't forget, men are catching up. Okay, where they're being abused. Remember that. So... Again, with the homicides and all this other stuff, yes, there is a possibility of that. And sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, when people break up, that's when that comes out mostly. But I'm going to tell you something. In all the articles that I read and all the studies that I'm a part of and, and, and been through and all this other stuff, they never say to stay because of the sake of the children. Yes, we know today that it's better to have a mother and a father in the family. But that's in a normal family, okay, a normal family, a family that functions, a family where they don't take advantage of each other, a family that there's harmony, okay, and the children adore their parents. They don't fear their parents, and the parents treat them the right way. I don't know how many people live like that because all of us on NASCA don't know anything about that. I certainly don't. So, but that's in a normal situation. But when you're in an abusive situation and the children are watching, this destroys their, their little spirit. It's, it hurts their soul. It breaks their heart. Because, again, don't forget, mommy and daddy are the most important people to them in their life So the whole family then Becomes destruction And many times Those children That grow up Are able to grow up Who don't become victims To the point where They're a statistic or something um, They do end up in juvie Another place that I used to work Juvenile detention And of course I had privy I had all, all the information on I had everything about The, the children that I worked with They came from backgrounds like we did. Yeah. 90% of them. 90% of them. And if you go into the jails and then into the prisons, you will find out that that's the case too. Whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, you came from a background that was dysfunctional. So therefore, many times you turn into a thief or you turn into something else And let me tell you something, Um, if you're a pedophile, if you're a pedophile and and you get caught, say you get caught for the first time. They say that they have found out that they have actually, the first-time offender, even though this is not accurate, they have offended approximately 124 times before they actually got caught. That means ten times with one kid, five times with another kid. You do the math, jumble it up, just come up to 124. 124. I'm saying that because I have this knowledge, because I was taught this, and because now I know it to be true, I say that first-time offenders should have much heavier sentencing when they get caught, not a slap on the wrist or probation, which is the same thing, or, or whatever, and certainly be registered as a sex offender. But still in all, if they do time, they're not going to do nearly as much time as someone who's in court caught the second or the third time. You have Tier 1, 2, and 3, okay? T- uh, tier 3, of course, is the worst. That's where there's always, uh, they beat up their victims, or maybe even go a little bit further than just beating them up and then and sexually abuse them. That's Tier 3. We actually have some tier threes out on the street today because the system is so defunct, okay? And that's a shame. That's a shame. So you see, these people need to be incarcerated, but while they are incarcerated, some prisons do try to keep them separate from regular population, okay? Because if you think about it, A person may be in in prison, but a lot of them have nieces, they have nephews, they have children, they have of their own, Um, they have whatever, family members. And so then, therefore, normal population, okay, if you want to call it normal, regular population, they have it out, oh, yes, for the pedophiles. They don't like them either, I was trying to find out how many pedophiles actually get killed in the United States, just using the United States as, as, a, as something to work with, a year. But i got a block on me, <laughs> okay? They don't want me to know things like that. So um, I, I don't have the exact amount how many people actually get beaten to death or something and uh, while they're incarcerated who are pedophiles. But it did suggest, what I was able to read, that there's an awful lot of them. Let's put it that way. Well, to a person who's been sexually abused for many years in my life by many different people, some family, some not, uh, and, and there's so many of us on NASCA like that, the only thing we can think of, well, there's a little bit of justice that way. You see, the prison system can't keep them separated too much because it's too hard on the prison system. You have to have, um, you have, to have police officers if they're in there for rape and murder and all this other stuff. They have to have police officers on one side then and then police officers on the other side and, and guards and whomever they use because uh, you have then a split jail system. So you need then actually more police officers or more guards working there to, just to cover the population of the people who are incarcerated. Now, in the last few years, they've gotten a little bit lenient, and I don't like it. And anyone who's been abused wouldn't like it if they knew exactly what was going on. And they don't get nearly as much time as they should, whether they be tier one, two, or three. So something has to give in this country. It has to give. Because people who are abusers are walking the street. A lot of times their family don't want them. Why would they? So they end up as part of the homeless population which doesn't include the border. I'm not talking about the border people now. I'm talking about our own people right here um, in the United States. And then you add the border people to it, and we have such a homeless population, it's ridiculous. In 1997, my husband, my second husband and I, went to San Francisco. I wanted to see Alcatraz. I had worked quite a while with the... um, Robert Lifer's program, Scared Straight. I did that for three years, and then I worked in detention for more time. And uh, I wanted to see what Alcatraz was like. So we went over. We used it as a vacation. We went over, and it was quite an adventure, quite an adventure. And they had piped all throughout the the jail, um, the prison, They had Muggsy's voice, they had Al Capone, they had um, all all the uh, Birdman from Alcatraz, all these voices all different. They're having like conversations. It's something they put together, all right, obviously. And it it was really quite uh, something to see. But people were even trying to get out of that prison and they would try to um, swim the terrible waters that were there. They never found the bodies. They didn't, they didn't make it. I know they didn't make it because I went across on the Maiden, maiden Miss. that's the name of the boat, to get over to Alcatraz. And believe me, the waters were so choppy and so wild that there's no one that could have swam, you know, from Alcatraz to land on the other side. They made a raft, but I'm sure the raft was, uh, you know, torn apart. So there were all different kinds of people that were in Alcatraz. You had the mobsters. You had other people and other people and other people, okay? So I learned an awful lot about prison and what goes on in prison. And I'm learning about our Justice Department today, which I don't like. But there is a little bit of justification because, quite frankly, Um, I was a little 7-year-old girl, 6 to seven and a half, with a monster in the house who chased me with his vehicle after I told on him. Oh, yes, he did. He waited for me to get out of school. The second house I was in wasn't far away from the first house, so I went to the same school. And he chased me down the road with his vehicle. Yes, he did. And I was panicked stricken, Who wouldn't be? I don't care if you're 7 or if you're 27. You know what it's like to be chased by a car? I'm weaving in and out of of streets. Streets. And every time I came back to Main Street, there he was, of course. He didn't have to go in and out of the streets. He knew what I was going to do. So then I stopped panicking so much, and I decided I'm going to go into the drugstore. I told once. Maybe I'll tell twice. And that got rid of him. That got rid of him. Now, don't you think I had psychological problems living like that? Of course I did. I had panic attacks, which turned into panic disorder. I became clinically depressed, and I became suicidal. And then I had suicidal ideations. These are not uncommon things that happen to people who go from one repetitive type of trauma to another repetitive type of trauma. Well, finally, the church helped me, and I've told this before. If it wasn't for the church, I'd probably be dead today because I was really going through suicidal ideations. Yeah, big time during that time. And... um, It it just wasn't any way to live. I mean, I just had all these these fears and phobias and, and all this other stuff, and I was so sick and tired of it. The only thing that kept me alive was the fact that I had two children. Yes, they brought goodness into my life, and I'm very thankful for them. And also, too, the church helped me. We had such a big prayer group. There was over 200 people, so therefore there were many counselors that came to that prayer group. And they got a hold of me. They said, you're a mess. I said, yes, I am. And they helped me. And today I'm where I'm at. I'm a counselor. I help other people. I'm the night owl for NASCAR. And you know what? I don't charge. No. Do you know why I don't charge? Because, you see, it's not about money. It's about lives. And I don't want people to go through the same crap that I went through in plain English. So I'm very popular (laughs) because I don't charge. I don't need to charge. Okay, let's get back to this here. A lot of times people, right before they, they break away from their partner who's abusing them, they also suffer from mixed feelings. Well. Uh, of course they have missed emotions because there were times when they had good times in their marriage and they had times when they had bad times in their marriage. And it's like they were weighing sides. Don't weigh sides. Why should you be treated poorly to begin with? See, I had to learn all these things, Philip, because I felt so lowly about myself. I guess I thought it was okay if I was abused. It's never okay. Never. So these type of things people go through. So you have to put aside your mixed feelings. Oh, but it was so good back when. It was so good the, that the, the, all the things people, male and female, go through. You know, well, maybe you can get back to that again, and I'm going to miss those times. You can have those good times with someone new who's not going to abuse you. Okay. Knowledge of difficulties of parenting alone and, of course, less finances. Okay, I had to face the fact that I wasn't going to have my husband. He, didn't, he wasn't that interested in his own children. Shame on him. And um, it was going to be tough, and it was tough. But I did it. I did the best that I that I could do. Did I make mistakes? Sure I did. I'm not a perfect person. And what I did after I left my husband, I did divorce him. I went back to the school kids that I hung out with. Because a lot of them were divorced too. Gee, that's surprise, surprise. <laughs> Birds of a feather, okay? We know each other. And I I would make sure I had a good babysitter and I'd allow myself to go out once a week. And um, and have a good time. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you know that your children are well cared for. And they have a phone number. You know, and some place to reach you, all this other stuff. So you have to be, you know, responsible even when you go out. Yes, the finances were different. Husband number one made good money and husband number two made good money. But I have news for you. Husband number two showed me paychecks. In fact, I was working too, of course, but he would show me his paycheck from the city and and I would put it in the bank and and so forth. And um, and I would put mine in the bank also because I became, uh, not only did I work at Greystone at that time, um, but I was also um, a landlady. We had bought an owner-occupied, okay, a two-family, big Victorian house. I live in a little house today. That's why I put it that way, 1,200 square feet. That's all I need. Um, And so, all right, we had money coming in there, and then we owned a condo, too. We were doing well. But there was all different kinds of different problems. Not all people are the same. And I'm afraid that alcohol and drugs were involved, okay, uh, with my second husband. And he didn't drink when I first met him. So then he'd say, you drove me to drink. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't tell you to pick up that that beer bottle or whiskey bottle. He liked vodka a lot. Oh, my God. I don't like vodka at all. But, you know, I didn't tell him to do that stuff. He did it all by himself, just like I did it all by myself when I was a kid because I started drinking when I was 16 and uh, smoking cigarettes and, and, and popping pills I was running away from home because abuse was at home. And, and the people that I hung out with on the street actually treated me quite well. I was like their kid's sister. Surprise, surprise. I did, however, see kids get trafficked out. I didn't know at first what was going on until they told me. And uh, I saw the things. that I had two people die right in front of me from drugs a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, a lot of other things. So you see, these are the things that happen to kids when they live in homes that are very bad. This is what happens. Okay. The victim lacks knowledge of support systems to safety and support. Now, like I said, today we have this organization, and again, um, you know, it's it's supposedly a very good organization. And if you know someone who is a part and parcel to all of the things that I'm talking about, for God's sake, help them out and give them the name of the organization. And that, again, is the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Okay? That's what it is. You look it up. Look it up yourself. And they have a wonderful, wonderful website a wonderful website. Okay. So a lot of times people have unsupportive friends as well. Um, family doesn't want to get involved because they're afraid of getting involved. They're afraid that they might get killed, in there, right? I mean, I have to admit this. You know, this is true. This is a maniac. Um a lot of times they they have feelings of, of loneliness, they're afraid they're going to be too lonely, they have feelings of hopelessness themselves, and they don't want to be alone. Now, quite frankly, I like being alone today, okay? I'm my own boss. Think about the options. Um, you're with someone who's abusing you physically, mentally, emotionally, and sometimes even sexually, Think about the options. If I get bored, I go out. When I want peace and quiet, I come home. I go to bed when I want. That's why I'm the night owl. And I do what I want. I have no one that I have to answer to. I answer to myself, and I answer to God. That's it. So for me, it works. There are a lot of people out there that it works for, okay? A lot of people. And it's much, much, much better than, you know, than becoming a statistic. I've seen people who became a statistic. And that's not a good thing to see. All right, a lot of times people don't leave because they think they're gonna lose custody of their children. And the reason being for that is a lot of times the abuser does make more money. So that keeps people home too. All right? It's not a good thing. It keeps them home with the abuser and the children are watching the domestic violence. That's not a good thing. Oh, my God. I do remember. So those are some things right there and there's more. Okay, you're losing access to cash. Um, if your husband was the type of husband who, you know, handed over his paycheck and he said, here, you know, pay bills and stuff. Now, a second husband was like that. He was better that way. Um, then that wouldn't apply to me. But losing access to cash, well, you split it in half and there is less cash. That scares people. So they tend to stay in the situation that they're in. Lack of having nowhere to go. Shelters are filling. And however, there is also too something that I'm going to have one of our Nazca people speak about. And it's considered to be like the underground. We'll put it that way. But I'm not going to tell her story about that. I will have her on. So that's another option, and it's a good one. They have counselors. I just want you to know this. They have counselors, and they try to get you housing and all kinds of stuff, and they certainly feed you and everything else. I'll let her explain that. Okay. So lack of having nowhere to go. um, Fear that homelessness might be the only option if they leave. I found, I did a little survey myself and because I was working um, with homeless people in New York City um, before the COVID. After the COVID hit, a lot of things left and that's another thing that left. So, and that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. But um, the point is this, you know, a lot of things left. We had a a huge truck. We we were the Midnight uh, Run. That was the name of our organization. And then I was with another organization, and quite frankly, we would take food into the city. We'd take clothing, things that people would actually donate. Some of it was brand new. A lot of it came from Walmart. We had underwear. We had toothbrushes. We had undershirts. We had hoodies. We had mittens. It was in the wintertime when I was doing this, especially with the one group. So um, anything you could think of that people might need, we had. And we took vats of soup and and coffee and hot chocolate and bottles of water. Now, this is an organization nearby me, okay? Now, unfortunately, when the COVID hit, what happened was um, a lot of people didn't want to go into the city. I can't say that I blame them but it certainly did hurt, because the shelters are overrun in the city. And, and also, I have to admit, too, that uh, when you go, whether it be into New York City, or whether it's in Philadelphia, or some a, a city city, all right, um, they don't have the proper help at times in the shelters. And a lot of times, people do try to steal your stuff. Um, you see people walking around with shopping carriages and they're walking around with these shopping carriages that are filled with their belongings. That's all they have is what they're. They're afraid to go to sleep because they're afraid that someone will rip off their things. So there's a lot of that going on in shelters too, and that's a shame. So a lot of times you'll see women. In fact, I saw this one woman especially um, who told me she had left her husband And she ended up out on the street. There she was. So I was giving her all kinds of stuff. We had underwear, everything. You name it, we had it. Bars of soap, toothpaste, toothbrushes. Oh, my God, we had so much. So we had a nice big truck, and we had vans, and we had um, SUVs also uh, filled with all kinds of things. So you can imagine just how much stuff we were taking to the city. This is New York City. Couldn't get them to go to the Bronx. I didn't want to go there. I don't understand that. (laughs) Okay. I wish Lori was on because she would have gotten a chuckle out of that. So anyway, she was born and raised in the Bronx. I lived in Staten Island for some years. And I was born in New York, but I I didn't live in the Bronx. All right. So anyway, the point is that um, the shelters are, are maybe not nearly as good. I'm going to say that. As the shelters out here, I mean, they definitely are quite good. And um, there's no reason, if you're living more in a suburban type of area, there's no reason why you should take abuse. And if you're living in a city area, there's no reason why you should do that either. It's not. It's not right. That hippie priest that I told you about... Way back when, when I first started to tell you some stories here. He's the one, too, along with my senior, told me that we were not put on this earth to be abused. He also said children are a gift from God, and if you're bad to them, you're spitting in God's face. And he said to me, Carol, take your children and run. Now that's coming from a Catholic church because that's what I am. Okay. That was one good chat in Catholic church. It says here, religious beliefs and teachings may be in the mind taught to them as children. I remember growing up thinking, my God, I knew that so-and-so's mother was being beaten and so forth. And then... Because she was Catholic, and it doesn't have to be just Catholic. There are other religions that are pretty strict, too. Um, she didn't dare leave because you're going against God, you're going, to, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to ruin the children and all No. What ruins the children is standing there watching mommy and daddy almost kill each other, okay? What ruins children is when there's alcohol and drugs Involved in the family. That's what ruins children. The dysfunctional homes. I've been in those dysfunctional homes. I witnessed it myself. And then also, too, I worked with it. Kids don't want to be in homes like that. They don't know it at the time. Because they're scared, because they don't know where they're going to go. The kids across the street in Red Bank who were being beaten all the time by mommy, mommy dearest, okay, mommy dearest. When the police would be called, or when the the prison the uh, the, the the priest would go down, we had police and we had the priest that went down, both. They actually listened to the church more than they listened to the police officers. We actually had a month of silence. I couldn't believe it. Well, those kids wouldn't tell on the mother. They were scared too. because they didn't know where they would go. So a lot of times there's things like that involved too. I mean, kids don't want to tell, the wife doesn't want to tell, or the husband doesn't want to tell because they don't know what's going to happen. They know what they have, which isn't good, but they don't know what they're walking into. Okay. Relief that two-parent households, or the belief that two-parent households are better for children. Yes, they are, if they're not dysfunctional. Okay. And that's the God's honest truth. So keep those things in mind. You're not doing anybody any favor You're not helping the kids. You're not helping yourself. If you stay in a dysfunctional home, you're just not doing it. That's not the way it's meant to be. So another thing that I have here, which might help you classify yourself, if you will, um, as to whether you're in an abusive situation, because what happens is a lot of times those of us who were abused as children, and we witnessed abuse. we don't see any different we, we, we can't we can't spot and I went through that. I told you that well, we can't spot dysfunctional people. we just figure it's normal because you see it's our fabric. might feel a little psychological word for you, our fabric. This is what we went through as children, so sometimes you feel you know, comfortable in that surrounding because that's what you know. And you tend to um, choose friends, just regular friends who come from dysfunctional homes. I did it. <laughs> I went over to one of my friends' house one day and the mother was really mad. Another mother, see, another lady, all right? And she was so mad at her children, I don't even know what for, but we were sitting around the dinner table, and she went and slapped them all in the face, and I got slapped too. (laughs) I got slapped. And I'm thinking to myself, gee, I guess I'm part of the family. (laughs) I got slapped too, you see? How screwed up is that? So I'm trying to give you ideas here. There is help out there for people you know, who are in terrible homes where the husband or the wife is dysfunctional, they're beating you or they're beating their children. There's all different ways of abusing a person. I have in front of me something that's called red flags of a battering personality. Now, this is something that I found. I found it some years ago because I used to do a lot of speaking at universities. And for the month of October, we all know here at NASCA that that's Domestic Violence Month, okay? So in that, I, asked, I was asked to help teach class in October. This is before the pandemic. All right, so that's what I did, and I have what I have right here in front of me. Now, I'm going to read off to you the flags of personalities to watch out for because, quite frankly, if you're anything like I was, if you're anything like I was, you're doing the same blasted thing that I did and so many people do, all right? All right, number one is jealousy. An abuser will always say that jealousy is a sign of love. No, it isn't. (laughs) It's not a sign of love Jealousy has nothing to do with love It's a sign of possessiveness And lack of trust Now maybe that abuser Grew up in a home Where there was lack of trust And maybe there was a lot of things going on That shouldn't be going on People who weren't loyal to each other And nice to each other Whatever the case might be and that's what that person knows. So that's what he gives. It's a sign of possessiveness. In a healthy relationship, the partners trust each other unless one of them has legitimately done something to break that trust. Now I'm going to give you the pros and the cons, the good and the bad, so you can see for yourself. In a healthy relationship, the partners trust each other unless one of them has legitimately done something to break that trust. All right, it's number one. Number two, controlling behavior. Controlling behavior. At first, the batterer will say, this is behavior because they are concerned for your safety. Excuse me? This behavior is because, in other words, what he's given is because he is concerned for your safety. They should have worded it that way because that's what they're talking about. A need for you to use time well or to make good decisions. Abusers will be angry if you are late coming back from the store or an appointment. You will be questioned closely about where you went and what you did. Oh yes, and also who you talked to. As this behavior closely about where you went, who you talked to, this behavior gets worse. That's just a little tidbit. The abuser may not let you make personal decisions about the house, your clothing. Or going to church. First of all, you're not smart enough to make decisions about the house. And your clothing, you're really supposed to dress for me, aren't you? Uh, Or certainly, don't show your knees for God's sake. My guys might look at your legs. And they probably don't want you to go to church because you might learn something like I did. Okay? Okay. They may keep all the money or may make the make you ask permission to leave the house or room. Oh, no, honey. It didn't get that bad. If I want to leave the room, I'm going to leave the room, okay? But they may make you ask permission before you leave the house for sure, okay? And yet they'll take off themselves. They might go shoot pool. They might go... And 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 talk to this one and talk to that one, but you're not to question. You're not to question, okay? You don't do this. Only they get to the question. Many domestic violence victims only knew their abusers for a few months before they were living together. Gee, who does that sound like? In nine months I got married. Um The abuser may come on like a whirlwind claiming you're the only person in the whole wide world, the only person he could ever talk to. I've never felt loved like this by anyone. Oh, they're smooth talkers, aren't they? Abusers are generally very charming at the beginning of the relationship. You will be pressured to commit in such a heavy way that later you might even feel guilty if you want to slow down the involvement or even break up. After all, he's looking to you for love. He's looking to you for companionship. He's looking for you to blow him up and tell him how wonderful he is. And all the other times, he's not saying that to you. Or he might say that you look pretty in a dress or something that he picked out. Okay. But he wants all the adoration and attention. Now, abuse is awful. They they target people. And they target the GLBT community as well because it's time when you are vulnerable and you may not know very many people in your community. So evidently doing, you know, those people or gay, or they're lesbian, or they're trans, and what was the other one? I always miss one. Well, whatever. You get the picture. There can be a lot of abuse in that community also, okay, because a lot of times when people are gay, or they're lesbian, or um, transgender, or whatever else they are, um, and they're adding more letters all the time. Those people many times are people who are very much uh, not in touch with who they are as a person. They have a lot of uh, problems that they need to work through to even understand why they're this way, whether they're, why they're gay, why they're lesbian, um, or why they're transgender. I had a client, though, that's transgender. Um, that's when I worked in the methadone clinic. I was a counselor there. And um, I, I remember the doctor saying to me, can't you do something with him? I looked at him and I said, no. (laughs) See, it's not up to me to do something with him. It's up to the individual to do something with themselves to decide if this is how they truly want to be or if they're going to change. Now, that's the way it is. But I did say and make mention to him that the doctor said to me, if he wants to get his methadone, he has to come here dressed as a man, not as a woman. Now, when I gave him that message, yes, he came in then as a man. You see, that wasn't directly pointing at him the way that I handled it. I didn't point my finger at him and say, hey, because you're wearing high heels and a dress and you're wearing makeup and you're doing all this other stuff to look like a woman, Um you're not going to get your, your methadone and all this other sort of stuff. That's pointing a finger right at him. He already feels that way probably somewhat about himself anyway because he's all mixed up and whatever. So it, I just simply said, hey, listen, the doctor wants you to dress as a man. He wants you to dress as a man. And um, what we'll talk about in, in session, we'll talk about, you know, if you really want to be this way or what made you feel you should be this way? Is this something you've had all your life, these feelings? Blah, 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 on and on it goes. I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to look. But I can tell you this. When I moved, he was a man and he had a girlfriend named Lisa. Yes, he did. He had a girlfriend named Lisa. He was madly in love with her. So sometimes it's a matter of uh, really getting in touch with yourself and then, you know, in in a quiet way, questioning and and, and, uh, counseling. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Unrealistic expectations. Abusive people will expect their partner to meet all of their needs. The perfect partner, lover, and friend. They say things to you like, if you love me, I'm all you need. You don't need anybody else. You just need me. Well, that means they can't have friends. You see, they're going to go to that uh, thing next. You're supposed to take care of everything for them emotionally, physically, and sometimes economically. Huh. Imagine that. Okay. Isolation. The abusive person tries to cut the partner off from all resources If you have same-sex friends, you are a whore, a slut, or you're cheating. If you are uh, close to your family, they try to keep you away from your family. They may not let you use a car, and they may only have one, just to make sure that you can't use that car. I went through that. Um, Then I said, screw this, I'm gonna take it anyway. (laughs) All right, whatever. And they may try to keep you from working or going to school. Some abusers will try to get you into legal trouble so that you're afraid to drive or go out. Okay, number six, blames others for problems. If your partner is chronically unemployed, someone is always doing them wrong or is out to get them. That's why they're chronically unemployed. It's always the other person's fault. It's not their fault. They may make mistakes and then blame you for upsetting them so that they can't concentrate on their work. Really? They will tell you that you are at fault for almost anything that goes wrong. Shame on you. See? Shame on you. It's your fault. I wonder if any of you out there are listening and thinking, hey, I fall into that category, I wonder. Blames others for feelings. Abusive people will tell you, you made me mad, and I can't help being angry. Although they actually make the decision about how they think or feel, they will use feelings to manipulate you. They're wonderful manipulators. Abusers are wonderful manipulators, They'll tell you things that you think they, you need to hear or you want to hear or you, you desperately need to hear someone that you love say, I love you back, and they don't do it. Abusers see themselves as the victim in the relationship. They actually see themselves as the victim, not you. And do not take responsibility for their own feelings or behaviors. Why would they? They're too busy blaming you. Number eight, hypersensitivity. Abusers are easily insulted and may take the slightest setback at a personal attack. They will rant, they will rave about the injustice of things that are really just a part of living, such as having to get up to go to work. Oh, my. Getting a traffic ticket. That's your fault, too. Or being asked to help with chores. I don't feel like helping you with chores. You stay home. You do the chores. They're wonderful with that. They're wonderful with that because they want to be able to point fingers at the person who stays home and say all you do is stay home. They don't take in consideration that if you're a good wife, you know, and you're doing all your chores, that that's a hard job too if you do it right, okay? Yeah, that's a hard job too. Okay, cruelty to animals or children. Now I hit upon this a little bit earlier, but it is absolutely something that does happen. I have a cat in this house that I absolutely adore. She's a Chantilly. She's a beautiful animal. Long fur. I love furry animals. I looked out the window one day and I saw kids throwing rocks at her. Yeah. This was in Peaburg. This isn't where I live now. They were throwing rocks at this beautiful cat. And I I almost blew a gasket. (laughs) I I thought I was going to go nuts. I screamed to my husband and I said, You get out there and get rid of those kids and, and bring that cat in. And that's exactly what he did, because he loved animals too. Something we had in common. So this is a person who punishes animals brutally or is insensitive to their pain as they're doing it. Insensitive to their pain. My little Chantilly is my baby. She adores me and I adore her. And I would never do anything to hurt her. Even though I was terribly beaten as a child, I would never beat my cat. I would never throw rocks at her. You see, it takes a certain type of person to do that. And I get angry any time I see something like that. They may expect children to be capable of things beyond their ability. Well, what's the matter with you? What, are you stupid? How come you can't do this? When I was your age, I could do it. See, they work on the family, they work on the wife or the other way around or on the children. They may tease children and younger brothers and sisters until they cry. Oh, yeah. I went through that. They may be very critical of other people's children or any children who are brought into the relationship. could be a kid down the street, It could be relationships, whatever, people in the family. Your partner may threaten to prevent you from seeing children you have no biological rights to or punish children to get even with you. That's nuts. About 60% of people who beat their partner also beat their children. There it is, right there. 60% of people who beat their partner also beat their children, 60%. Playful use or force in sex. This kind of person may like to act out fantasies where the partner is helpless and doesn't want any part of that type of sex play. And they let you know, okay? And and so in all, you demand that they behave in such, uh, in such a way. They demand it. If you love me, you do this. And you're my wife or you're my husband. You're supposed to do it. No, I'm a human being first. I have feelings. You see, when you're in an abusive relationship like that, you you actually lose your rights to have feelings or to have opinions. You become a person that's not important. Okay. And people actually fall into this category where they believe it. Because after all, Mr Wonderful or Miss Wonderful who treated me so well, who opened up car doors and, and pulled chairs out for me and told me how pretty I am and all the and bought bought me nice clothing and all this other stuff. They would never they would never hurt me, would they? You see. Ugh. The idea of rape is exciting to these people many times. They don't make love. They're rough and they're hurtful. They may may show a little concern about whether you want to have sex and use sulking or anger to manipulate you. They may start having sex with you okay, but they'll do it while you're sleeping. You're over there going, and they're in there trying to do their thing. And when they demand sex, when you are still ill or tired, well, then they become tyrants that way, too. Don't you dare get sick. I want sex now. I'm too tired. I I had a rough day at work. I don't care if you had a rough day at work. I want sex now. You see? They may want you to make up by having sex after they have just physically or verbally abused you. Oh, that's called, uh, let me think, isn't that just plan called making up? If someone physically abuses me, now I must say this, um, today or even yesteryear, if someone was hitting me or whatever, we're not going to have sex to make up, honey. Now that's the way I am, but a lot of people do that. If you hit me, I want to hit you back, okay? I don't want to have sex with you. Okay, number 11, verbal abuse. In addition to saying things that are meant to be cruel, this can be seen when the abuser degrades or curses you, belittling any of your accomplishments. You have accomplishments? You can't have accomplishments. I told you you're stupid. How could you possibly have accomplishments? They may accuse you. Of not being a real lesbian or a gay man Well, what does that have to do with it? If you aren't out They may have threatened you Or to your family members They're going to tell on you Okay, they're talking about gay people here They didn't word this very well, this one here But the point is If you're gay and you're still in the closet Well, then they're going to hold that against you And uh, they're going to tell you That they're going to tell on you To your family or to whomever Whoever it might bother you, okay? Wow. okay, rigid sex roles. Abusers expect the partner to play female role to serve them and insist that you obey them in all things. Now, I must say that some people actually agree that this is fun. Well, if they both are in agreement that this type of behavior is fun, then it's okay. I'm telling you that right now. Whatever is right for one and is right for the other in a sexual relationship is okay as long as you don't go against that and become a bully, okay? Then then it's a bad thing, not a good thing. Verbal abuse, in addition to saying things that are meant to be cruel, this can be seen when the abuser degrades or curses at you, belittling anything of anything that you do. Rigid sex roles, abusers expect a partner to play and please and, and them. Then you have the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which I spoke about earlier. Now, in, in the field of um, psychology and so forth, that was a big deal, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and in psychiatry. And then they took it away for some years, and now they brought it back again. I happen to believe in the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, theory. Many victims are confused by the abuser's sudden changes in mood, and they think it indicates a special mental problem. Well, sometimes it does. They could have mental problems, and and that can cause the mood swings. People who are bipolar can have that. There's all different things. People who are schizophrenic can have terrible mood swings. You bet. Absolutely. All different kinds of mental problems. Abusers may be nice one minute and explode the next. Explosiveness and moodiness are typical of people who beat their partners. Yep, I got some scars on me, honey. Yes, I do. The fingers on my right hand were broken. Not all of them, but two or more. And my wrist bone on my left hand was Displaced. (laughs) You know who helped me? You're not going to believe this. I'm going to tell you anyway. A chiropractor. He actually got my wrist bone back where it belonged. I'm always swelling in that area, though. That doesn't go away. All right. Many victims feel if their partner would just quit drinking or using drugs, the violence would stop. Well, husband number one showed me that that wasn't true. Unfortunately, that I went back to him before I divorced him the third and last time. And quite frankly, he started in drinking again. I was there with him for oh, almost two years, I guess it was. Yeah, at least two years. I was part of the Raleigh Life First program at that point. And so I stayed with him two years there and then another year on my own with the kids, a part of that program. So it was two years that I was with him. A year and a half of those two years, he stopped drinking. He did, absolutely. But something clicked in his head. It wasn't me. It wasn't the kids. No. He wanted to go back to being the way he was. And that's just the way he is and was. He's dead now. Both my husbands have died. They both died. All right, this is usually not the case that they're going to stop and stay stopped. Not usually, not when they have issues along with it. Abusive people continue the abuse even after they stop using alcohol or drugs unless they also seek help for their abusive behavior. If you have a behavior pattern that is abusive, then you're going to continue to be abusive. You may behave yourself with the alcohol and the the drug taking, but you see the person is still there and the problem is still there. You have to find out why you're behaving that way. Then there's a good chance maybe that you'll be okay with a lot of help and I think a lot of prayer too. All right, past battering. I'm getting down to the wire here. Past battering. Um, These people say they have hit a partner in the past, but the previous partner made them do it. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think so. You may hear from relatives or even ex-partners that the person has been abusive. A batterer will beat any person they are with if they want to, and if it's long enough that you're with them for violence to begin. Situation, circumstances do not make a person an abusive personality. You either have an abusive personality or you don't. It's as simple as that. That's the way it is. Okay? And people with abusive personalities need to go and get help. The threats of violence, this could include any threat of physical force meant to control you. I'll slap your mouth off. I'll kill you. I'll break your neck. Most people do not threaten their mates unless they have a problem. So you see, those are the ones that I have here. And this is under red flags of a battering personality. I do believe we may have this one on the website. And those of you who are, yeah, I think we, we have this one. Those of you who are in an abusive relationship, for God's sake, check this out. This is org, And the name of that other organization, I already gave it to you. You'll have to listen because I am out of time Um, (laughs) Whoa, that went fast And I have to actually close the show down So I hope this is helpful to you There are people out there who do care You can get better help today And do not stay in an abusive relationship National Coalition Against Domestic Violence Look it up if you're in that situation Good night, God bless And I'll be back again on Friday by now that radio 1 2 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. there we go